Hello and welcome to More Than a Game, a podcast about the A-Leagues, Premier League and more. This week on the show, Man United's new misery, a new bold fraud emerges. The Vux Special Australia Cup kit gets just a single run out this year. Aussie takeover of the Scottish Premier Football League continues. And of course, we chat some more A-League and Premier League transfer chat. I'm Tommy C. Joining me this week is Damo. Mate, you're down at the holiday house today. How, how's, uh, how's your long weekend been? Yeah, good, good. Uh, it's always good having a Monday off work to go away. So, yeah, down uh, having a good time here with my family. So, ready to talk some football. So wholesome. How good. <laughs> <laughs> and you're spending time with your family as well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Football is always a priority, right? Oh, I know, I know. All right, mate, um, let's crack on and get into uh, your moment of the week. Take it away, mate. Mate, my moment of the week is coming out of left field this week. and oh, I love a left field moment of the week. Yep, always. <laughs> uh, Alan San Maximum, there was a video of him giving a fan a Rolex watch. Now, yeah. there's, a, there's a backstory to this as well, which was even more interesting, is that the reason this wasn't random. The reason Sir Maximum gave him a Rolex was this guy is part of Sir Maximum's board game community and plays the game which Alan Saint Maximum created and has put into the world. This board game called Helios, and he's the creator. He's the owner, and this guy apparently is a real big player in the Helios community. And so Saint Maximum gifted him a Rolex. I went deep dive into this and I was blown away that footballers' interests outside of football always blow my mind. And I did not expect St. Maximum to be a board game aficionado. It's it's funny you mention like footballers and board games because um, uh, it, it's not the first footballer that I've heard about in the context of board games this week. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, I'm, to be perfectly honest, I am completely and utterly shocked that Alan St. Maximum is, is a board game aficionado. That's not something I would have predicted. Did not have that on my bingo card for, for this week or even this year, maybe. Um, but look, uh, one, go- one guy who I did think it was a little bit more sort of on um, on trend or on theme, sorry, was um, Eric Dyer. Apparently, he is really into really into board games and apparently like he couldn't get anyone at, at Spurs to play board games with him. So he just like sort of latched onto whoever, like the first person it was who, who agreed. I think it was Batongan. I think it was. It was the person ever referenced. Since, ever since Delhi left. Yeah. <laughs> he got no one to play games with. <laughs> <laughs> but like apparently he just like then, then Batongan just sort of humored him a little bit and played board games with him. I think that's, that's how the story goes, which I mean, is a little bit sad. I mean, Eric, Eric Dyer, I'm not his greatest fan as a footballer, but he's uh, just seems like an okay bloke still, though. But... <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy that would try and organise a, a couple's board night game, but he doesn't have a partner. Yeah. <laughs> no friends, no partner, yeah. just real grim. <laughs> right, mate, what, what, oh, oh, we'll get off the topic of board games. What was your moment of the week? Uh, mine, um, I guess I've got I've got two. So first of all, Allianz Stadium opening up in Sydney. That's just a great story. Obviously, we've seen uh, the Wanderers move into their new stadium just a couple of years ago, and Sydney FC are going to be moving into their new stadium. Um, that's great. A little bit weird that um, the stadium keeps pumping out like random stats about like how much concrete they've put into it as like a flex, which is that's a little bit strange. But look, my my actual moment of the week this week is uh, comes from uh, AF, AFL two. So, um, uh, sorry, AFL League One, and there was—I'm not sure if you caught this clip where basically this um, this player for for Shrewsbury Town, um, the the Cum Dogs ex team, he um, <laughs> he gets a there's a there's a foul, and then he basically goes up to the referee and he's giving him an absolute gobful, and the referee, and you see you see the referee's face very very clearly, and he says. There's one yellow card for the for the tackle, and there's another card for for the descent, and then gives him a red card as well. Just all in the space of like five seconds, he goes from just nothing to two yellow cards and a red, and off he goes. And just the referee absolutely sends him. And oh, mate, I, I was sent as well because it was just <laughs> it was great footage as well. I mean, I didn't even see the the tackle, but you didn't need to. <laughs> just a real coach killer. 
Oh, yeah, you can just imagine. And the, the, the guy would have just been like public enemy number one because, I mean, I mean, in isolation, getting a, a, like a yellow card for a tackle or for dissent is sort of one thing, but getting getting the package deal for two two cards and a, and a red is just, oh, chef's kiss. It's it's real League One areas, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially like you, you know, you're getting into League One when when a ta- uh, when a team has town in its name, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, mate. What about your own goal this week? Oh, look it's it's been tough to find own goals this week because just football being back, the Premier League being back, there's it just feels like a little bit of normality. Um, but my own goal has got to be this whole Barcelona saga that keeps carrying on. And I'm sure, you know, our listeners know, know all about it and, and the, the finances. They don't understand it, but they know all about it. Well, I don't understand it. But, <laughs> and that's, I don't think anyone really understands what's going on apart from the fact that Barcelona just are in this huge financial hole, but continue to spend money. They continue to try and sell assets or rights or whatever they've got to make more money just so they can register players and they're trying to offload players and cancel contracts and oh it sounds like a nightmare situation that could only get worse and I mean I I think the latest is that they can't actually register a couple of their players for La Liga like Lewandowski played this weekend and scored a goal and made headlines but He's actually not a registered La Liga footballer right at this moment. So, yeah. So, so uh, a couple of points. So, first of all, one of the problems for Barcelona is it's it's not like they can't just sort of um, uh, register like one or two of the new players. They can't register any of them until they hit a particular threshold. Well, this is even, due to La Liga's finance fair play, right? Which is separate correct. to UEFA's. Correct. Yeah, and so basically for every. Um, they they need to make a certain amount of savings, and for every sort of for every four dollars, they're able to spend one extra. Um, if that makes sense, for every sorry for every four dollars that they save, they're able to um, to spend uh, one extra, right? So so they're they're just sort of mortgaging everything on the hope that they can sort of bring all of these extra players in, and obviously they're trying to get rid of Frankie De Jong as well, and just sort of by any means necessary get him out the get him out the back door. But it's just it's all just it's all going a bit peak tong, really. And I think um, the, the the latest news as to why they haven't been able to register these players is is Barcelona reported an annual turnover of something like six hundred and fifty million euros. Whereas La Liga, who independently analysed Barcelona's turnover, actually reported nearly 100 million euros less. So there's this massive discrepancy in, in, in this, and that's why La Liga are saying you can't register these players, whereas Barcelona signed them thinking they could. And that, so, that's where they're in this situation where they're trying to cancel Braithwaite's contract but he wants them to pay him out. Oh, it's 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 a nightmare situation, and we could we could talk about a whole podcast about this, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, Barcelona they, are in the shit. Why they signed Daryl Braithwaite in the first place is just beyond <laughs> me. But but look, um, so one one final thing on the Barcelona thing, and this this I mean this whole situation is just wild. But one other thing that that caught my attention today when uh, when I was reading about this specific topic was that um, Barcelona set up a shell company, paid some money to the shell company, and then used the shell company to buy some of their assets off of them for more than like what they were what they were what they're worth, basically to try and generate um additional revenue sources, right? Just Which really is, CFG areas. Yeah. And I mean it's real <laughs> money laundering areas too, right? It's like, man, like next thing you know, they're gonna be setting up construction companies to do the new camp and oh it's just it's a mess um but yeah that that is wild and uh, look i don't think we've seen and heard the last of that as well because obviously um la liga doesn't start until this weekend uh for those of you that have still got an optus sport um account um <laughs> but uh yeah i guess we'll have to wait and see if the likes of Lewandowski actually get registered because i think that that is a train wreck that um well la liga do seem to be sort of digging in on a lot of this barcelona related stuff so i guess we just have to wait and see um, for me, my own goal, um, I got two, um, as always. The the first one, it's quick. The Premier League new studio, 
I hate it. It's so bright. It's just white. It looks like a scene out of like Bruce Almighty or something like that when when like God is there and it's just like a dude in a white <laughs> background. I hate it. Um, my other own goal though is the Nottingham Forest corner routine that they wheeled out against Newcastle. Don't know if you saw this one, Damo. Yeah, I saw it. It's become quite infamous already. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of a lot of listeners would have already seen it. But if you haven't, basically it involved not a single Nottingham Forest player in the Newcastle box when the corner was taken. So it's basically that they've got five or six players that are running with a full head of steam into the Newcastle box. And to make like to make it worse, um, the corner's terrible and just goes straight down Nick Pope uh, straight down Nick Pope's throat and like there's not, I don't think there's even a forest player within shot. Like when when he grabs it, and it's just like, man, that was so terrible. I mean, it could actually turn out to be like a decent routine, but I mean, you have got to have a decent corner to sort of take a to to go with it, though. Yeah, look, I actually enjoy stuff like this, and you see a lot of routines, very training ground routines in the lower leagues, particularly where an assistant manager, that's his real thing, right? And he jumps in and he's like, I own this, let's do this. And 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 to be fair, set pieces in the championship and league one, a lot of goals come from set pieces. And, and you always see it with teams that get promoted, come up to the Premier League and this whole, you know, media uh, circus happens around one of their set piece routines. The funny thing is, is Forrest have been doing this for – a long time under Steve Cooper and they scored a lot of set piece goals in the championship last season. And, you know, it, it was towards the back end of the year, they were winning games one, one nil two one. And it was set pieces that were often um, getting them results. So uh, they've come up to the premier league, obviously with the, to do the, with the idea to do the same thing and no one knows what's going on and that works for a little while, but we'll, we'll see how long it goes on for. Yeah, well, hopefully they pull, uh, they execute them a little bit better than what they did against Newcastle uh, next week. <laughs> I think that I think that was their one corner, and they didn't have a single shot on goal. So yeah, they're they're going to have to work a little bit more on that in training. I think. But look, uh, all right. Next up, we're going to be talking a little bit of a Australia Cup. So uh, in the round of thirty-two, we had. Uh, I think a little bit disrespectfully, they're called minnows, but uh, the likes of Wollongong United and Mindal Aces were both knocked out by Green Gully and Avondale, respectively. Um, you had the Jets and the Vuck. They both got eliminated as the first A-League teams. Um, they both, uh, they lost to Adelaide and Western United, respectively. Um, Daniel Arzani made his debut for the McBulls, which, um, look, I know Daniel Arzani's got a lot of haters. People think he's overrated, makes terrible career decisions, so on and so forth. But, I mean, Arnie rates him and we're heading into a World Cup uh, in a couple of months. So um, the fact that one of our most talented um, but most underutilized players is, is getting a game can only be a good thing. Um, Charlie Austin, he made his competitive debut for the Roar against Heidelberg. Damo, you got along to that one. Enjoy that one. Yeah, it was a bit of a nothing game. We both went to that, Tommy. It was, um, I mean, you, you can probably attest to the fact that it felt like nothing much happened, really. Heidelberg were never in it apart from a 50 seconds at the start of the game and maybe 50 seconds between the equaliser and, and the goal that put Brisbane ahead again. So apart from that, it was it was pretty dead and pretty quiet around the ground. Yeah, it was a real shame that uh, the the roar took the lead just so early. I think it was. It was literally sixty seconds after the first whistle. So, um, but still, we we had a good night there um, at uh, Olympic Park. I think it's called. So, um, good times. Um, the six Victorian clubs in the round of sixteen, um, which is great, being that we live in Melbourne, so there's a pretty decent chance that we'll still be able to catch up with some Victorian teams um, in the quarterfinals as well. Um, also in the round of 16, uh, Adelaide City are going to be playing Adelaide United too, and I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch uh, if you're not going to get down to a game. Um, but, Damo, what was your – was there a particular highlight that you liked from the round of 32 or something you're looking forward to in the in the round of 16 in particular? Uh, I, think, I think I said to you during the last set of games of the round of 32, I really enjoy watching top NPL clubs with, with a group of players that are nearly ready to make that step up. And now they're sort of on the national stage on free to wear TV through, you know, 10 play where everyone can get a look at them. I really enjoyed watching Peninsula power from um, 
the Queensland NPL play from out at Redcliffe. Uh, obviously through to the next round as well. Um, there's There's been a couple of NPL sides that have got some really good players that are probably ready to step up to the next level. I really enjoyed that in the last round. Uh, it, you know, it'd be remiss of me to say that I'm going to enjoy watching Brisbane Raw again in Melbourne in <laughs> in the round of 16, the away to Avondale. So um, I'll, I'll probably get down to that game. And yeah, look, it's th- there's a lot of good matchups in the next round. And uh, as you said, there's six Victorian sides through, and I think four of them are NPL sides. So that, that's pretty good to see. And, and this point here is the best part of the um, the Australia Cup because you've got these NPL teams that are sort of getting towards the end of their season. The the A-League teams are still only well, very much in pre-season. There's still two months until the A-League kicks off. And so the, the golf in sort of preparedness is never getting any bigger than this. And it makes for sort of some, some reasonably close um, games considering these are semi-pro versus professional teams and just the resources are resource difference is is just massive so um i'm surprised that there maybe hasn't been some closer games between npl teams and and a-league teams but um still i thought heidelberg were still did all right and definitely didn't didn't disgrace themselves against um what is probably not the greatest of brisbane raw teams when compared with i guess uh, current a-league teams and also um, historically brisbane raw teams um, moving on to a little bit of transfer chat, a um, couple of big moves in the last couple of days. Uh, Cornet to West Ham for seven and a half from Burnley. Kukurea, he went to Chelsea after not going to Chelsea, and then he was going to Chelsea. Cash <laughs> uh, Michael, he's gone to Nice. Sorry, Nice. Um, uh, Burnt Leno, he's gone to Fulham for just three million, which seems really good deal. I think for Fulham, it's a I think bargain. Yeah, um, and then a couple of Aussie moves as well. You had Marty Boyle. He's left uh, the Saudi second division, gone back to Hibs, and then just sort of, what, two days after it was announced, um, he scored the an, an equaliser deep in the injury time in the, uh, the Edinburgh derby. So um, good stuff for him. He's obviously not lost his touch in the last couple of weeks. Um, and then just a couple of days ago as well, it was announced that Aziz Bayich is uh, headed to Dundee, Dundee United to join... Uh, Mark Birigetti. Um So that's that's great for him. Uh, Dundee United are a chance to to be playing in the uh, Europa Conference League knockout stages, or sorry, the group stages, I should say. So um, that's that's good for him that we'll have potentially another Aussie playing in Europe as well. One Tommy, that I just, want to talk. Go on, mate. I was, was going to say just quickly on on one of these transfers here, um, Kukurea to Chelsea. I'm not. I'm not sure if you saw. You may or may not have. Gary Neville's pretty prominent on TikTok at the moment. He's been posting a lot of videos, and on the back of this transfer, he and uh, his best mate in broadcasting, Jamie Carragher, made a video on if he's if Kukurea's going for 55 million pounds to Chelsea, what do they value themselves in this day and age in this market? And Gary Neville said that he thinks he'd be a 60 million pound fullback. And then they, they agreed on the fact that Jamie Carragher would be a 60 million pound center half with, um, with add-ons. <laughs> wow. Jeez. And the, uh, but they, they agreed that the add-ons would be if Carragher won the league. So they would get no more. <laughs> <laughs> They're really leaning into the meme there. Um, I think that's that's probably not far off considering sort of how wild the transfer market is. But um, I think you also got to consider what their age would be when they're thinking about selling themselves. Like, would is it when they're like how old they are now? Is it when they're in their forties? Yeah, I don't know how much they'd be worth now. Probably maybe sixty pence. I reckon a bag of red frogs. <laughs> Um, one transfer that I did want to talk about in particular, and that um, seems to be something that sort of was doing the rounds on social media or that a few people picked up, was the idea of uh, Alexander Pato um, moving to the A-League. Now, this is a guy who pretty much for the last 10 years has been living off of his reputation on on FIFA 11. Um, he's pretty much done nothing everywhere he's been. He did all right in China. for I think he was there for two years. Um He's gone back to Brazil a couple of times. He played two games in 12 months at Chelsea. Um, and just it's everything that we shouldn't be doing in a marquee as far as I'm concerned because this is a guy who, no disrespect to him, 
doesn't speak the language and doesn't strike me as sort of the outgoing kind of guy who's sort of going to do what um, Charlie Austin's doing and sort of mentoring young players and getting around on social media and sort of really trying to boost the profile of, of, of the league sort of on the back of his his profile. And I just look at this and think, oh, please, just avoid, 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 because I think it would be pretty much um, – I just don't think he's even going to move the needle a lot either. I mean, the the people that are um, – that used to play maybe FIFA, FIFA 11 or 2011, they're probably already um, – uh, they're probably already A-League fans, and, and if they're not A-League fans, Pato probably isn't going to get them there either. So, I don't know, it just – it strikes me as just a terrible, terrible idea. I'm not sure if you've yeah, got anything look, else to expand upon that. <laughs> it, it screams Daniel Sturridge 2.0 without the fanfare of the initial yep. announcement. Like the at least Sturridge got the announcement and everyone was like, wow, Daniel Sturridge coming to the A-League. Mm-hmm. But I feel if Pato comes to the A-League, it's like, eh, I remember him. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the, but, and then he won't play. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's the exact, move the a-league wants to avoid and hopefully it doesn't come to fruition but we'll see hmm. um all right during uh chanter chat I mentioned about some of the the aussies that have moved to scotland obviously I mentioned already about dundee doing bits in the europa conference league they beat um az alkmaar i think it was one nil uh with mark birgitti playing he was quite um handy in the build-up as well for their goal um, as is Bayage has just arrived there as well. But over the weekend, we had the Edinburgh Derby between Hearts and Hibs, um, two clubs that have already got a couple of Aussies there. You've got um, Nathaniel Atkinson. He's been at Hearts now for, I think, about 12 months. Um, not really lighting up the place, though. Um, every time I see something, uh, any sort of reference to Nathaniel Atkinson on social media, it's that he's just had a terrible game or he's been subbed off within half an hour. I mean, um, particularly when, you know, Hearts was playing a 34-year-old right back last night in the Edinburgh Derby. It's not a not a good sign that Atkinson really isn't in favour, is it? No. Um, and I've heard of two instances where he's been subbed off within 30 minutes, which, um, yeah, is is really not great. Um, Kai Rolls, he played last night um, in the, the bit that I saw of the game. He, he held his own and looked like he was doing quite well. Um, Cam Devlin's yet to start in the league for Hearts, but he has come off the bench quite regularly for them. So he's still getting minutes, which is which is okay and probably could be still getting some more minutes. I um, saw he's got a couple of starts in the Scottish Cup though, so so that's good as well. Um, mentioned Marty Boyle. He's at Hibs and scored um, injury time equaliser as well. So lots of Aussies as well outside of those ones I just mentioned that are, that have either just arrived or have been there for a while and um, might even keep doing sort of a bit of a regular update on how the Aussies in, in Scotland are doing because, I mean, it's probably second only to the A-League in, in terms of the – well, it definitely is second only to the A-League in terms of how many Australians are playing there. Um, all right, finally, one thing before we get into the Prem, and that's uh, Ernie Merrick was announced um, this week as the Chief Football Officer for the FA, which um, is a very interesting appointment, more so in the fact that it was really vague and no one really understands what it means. Um, first of all, I guess, two-part question for you, I guess, Damo. What do you think of the person that they've chosen for this role, and what do you think of the role? Look, I, I don't exactly know what the role is uh my my initial thought was that the role was more of a sort of tactical overview of what the national curriculum is and he oversees that and people who develop that report to him if that's the case i think it's a great role for him because we've seen over the years he's just got this vested interest in the development of the style of football in australia and he's mm-hmm. done that everywhere in the a league uh, but then there's other rumors that he's, you know, more or less of a, a face of the brand of Football Australia to sort of be a disruptor in in sort of, a, I don't know, a market that is football. I don't know how much value that's got because he's only known within the football community. Who can he disrupt within that? Everyone already knows who he is. He's the establishment. Um, exactly, right? <laughs> so who, who is he going to disrupt? You know, the, the youth trying to come up. So I, I, self-destruction. I, I honestly don't know what his role is. It, like I believe if it's more of a tactical sort of oversight of of the tactics of Australian football and development of of kids in Australia, 
I believe that's a great role for him. But if it's not that, I don't know. I have no idea why he's there. I think the other the other confusing thing about this from I guess from a fan's perspective is is it's very difficult to tell if he's done a good job or not. Because I mean, I'm sure he it's has some like sort of goals to It's almost like they're just rewarding him for for a career within football in Australia to be like, "Here's your retirement package. Thanks for your service." That's what it feels like almost. And I, I do I do think that someone like Ernie Merrick, who is super knowledgeable, obviously cares a lot about the game here. Um, and I think he he's someone that it's worthwhile keeping him around uh, football. And and maybe it was a bit of a case of um, he's been doing some work, I think, with St Kilda in the, in the AFL as a bit of a sort of leadership consultant or something along those sort of lines. And maybe it was just a case of we, we want to keep him around the game. We'll, we'll create some sort of a way that he can be he can be involved in football in Australia rather than losing someone super knowledgeable, understands the game here, probably has a very clear view in his own mind of what's wrong, what needs to be, what needs to change. So, so maybe that could be why he's just got such really random job title, and no one knows if he'll or how he would be a success. Just sort of a be all end all consultancy role for football in Australia. The Ralph Rainick of, of Australian football. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into get into the Prem though. Uh, first up, uh, yeah, the weekend saw uh, the Premier League returned. Uh, the biggest thing that stood out to me though, um, it was that some of the teams looked massively undercooked. I thought Wolves, Forest, Southampton, and even to some degree Liverpool as well, uh, all seemed miles off where they would want to be at this point in the season. And that's not, I guess, unusual that you see um, some teams who maybe aren't quite ready for the season or maybe pre-season hasn't been quite as good as they might have hoped. But still, I was quite surprised sort of how poor some of the teams were this weekend. Still lots of good games, and I thought um, they were all still quite close, but still was quite surprised at how poor some of these teams were, though. On uh, the note of, uh, I guess, mediocrity, um, there was a couple of things that stood out to me, and that was that there was three own goals this weekend. Um, McAllister, excuse me, um, McAllister, uh, Mo Salasu, uh, both shanked it into their own goal, while Mark Gahey, uh had a glancing header um, past his own goalkeeper. Mate, which one did you like best out of those three? I think I like the best because Mo Salasu has now got more goals in the league than Mo Salah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go with that. <laughs> oh, that's so good. The other one that um, it, it wasn't an own goal, but it very easily could have turned into one was Jose Sarr coming very close to just dribbling the ball into his own goal, <laughs> which was just like, I, I'm not even a Wolves fan. My heart was in uh, was in my mouth and I thought, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And I think De Gea did something or Allison did something very similar last season. And I mean, it, like I say, even when it's not your team, you're still going, ooh. <laughs> if, if any of these things happen in the A-League, it's uh, it's peak it's peak A-League, as we like to say. But because it's the Premier League, it's forgiven. Yeah. Mm. Um, Matt Kazonis uh, on Twitter, he asks, which preseason prediction is already looking like milk left out in the sun? Probably anyone who predicted Manchester United to be in the top four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Eric Ten Hag, he's got a long way to go, let, let's be honest. Yeah, I think I, maybe top four at this point, you'd even wonder if they're going to make top six if they continue to be. I think a lot of people thought that they would be a new team this year. They've made some changes. They got rid of some of the dead wood. But in some ways, this season could could turn out to be worse than last season. Obviously, there's a lot of lot of water to go under the bridge just yet. But um, yeah, and, and maybe now is a good opportunity for us to talk about Manchester United, though. Um, Eric Ten Hag has emerged as the Premier League's new bold fraud as Man United were pretty easily swatted away by mid-table rivals Brighton. Five-foot-nine centre-back Martinez uh, was amongst their best, though, as Ronaldo sat on the bench until two-thirds of the way through the match. Uh, Two goals for Pascal Gross were enough for Brighton to get the win, though. Mate, how much fun do you think it's going to be uh, watching Man United? Um, They've bought Christian Eriksen and Lissandro Martinez Two great midfield players in the Premier League and, and in the Eredivisie, and yet they're still playing a double pivot of Fred and McTominay. 
Yeah, I, every, everything about Ten Hag last night confused me, right? He mm. has religiously played a, a double pivot, a 4-2-3-1 in the Eredivisie. He's, he's been really successful doing that. But, but if you look at, you know, sort of the average positions of the players that played for Manchester United last night, it more looked like he played a 4-3-3 with Christian Eriksen as, as a nine or a false nine, if you like to say. Mm. Um, he, he insists on playing Rashford forward wide on the left. And that seems like the only thing that Ten Hag has sort of committed to as his season is playing Rashford in an attacking wide left position. So, I mean, FPL managers bring Rashford into your side because it doesn't look like he's going to get dropped. I think he's um I think he's only like 6 million or something. He's it like really really affordable and you think, "Oh, Rashford, 6 million for sure. I'll get him into my fantasy team." But I tell you what, you looking at that Manchester United time, Manchester United team uh, performance, you wouldn't be looking at getting any of them in, I think, and yeah, pretty grim. I mean, if you're um, a Manchester United fan, there's not there's not much good from that game, is there? Um, you, you can't really take much positive from that. Ronaldo was on the bench. The situation doesn't seem resolved. He still got on the field. They're, they're playing without an, with a recognised nine on the left wing. They've got a number 10 at number nine. They've got Bruno Fernandes, who is a 10, who is playing as an eight. And they've got a, two sixes who don't know what they're doing. Like... There, there isn't much that you can sort of take away from that game as at, at least we've got something to work on. Yeah, it was really interesting that they played, um, that Ten Hag played Ericsson as a as a nine. Maybe maybe that was deliberate to, um, especially at home in front of the board, to say we, we need another number nine. And funnily enough, on that very topic, there's been a rumour that's, uh, that's emerged today uh, about a new number nine that Manchester United could be signing. Uh, one of my favourites from a couple of years ago in the Premier League, Marko Anatovic, could be making a return. What are your thoughts on that, mate? Is, is he really a number nine? I feel he's just Rashford, but, you know, but not Rashford. Like, With he more wants tattoos? To, yeah, he wants to play <laughs> wide and he wants to open up to the field and run at people. He's, I don't know if he can play as a nine. I, I, I feel like it's just, you know, it's it's just makes no sense that signing. I mean, you've got more context to to who Anatovic is and and how he plays, uh, having watched him at West Ham for years. But d- does he even work there? I think um, Anatovic was very good at West Ham. I think he was only there for about twelve months, maybe eighteen months. But he he was very good in the sense that he he was a converted winger. Uh, who was playing up front and because he had sort of the physical attributes and the he was quite skillful. He was able to sort of be converted into a into a striker and he did that very very well. I think it surprised everyone how well it actually turned out. But if you're if you're Manchester United, surely you should be looking at other options other than a converted winger. Who look he I think he scored thirteen goals in Serie A last year, but the the guy's like thirty three as well. Like he's. He's finished. Like, there's a reason why he's doing well in in Italy, and it's because it's nowhere finished. near as faster. Fast. <laughs> there's a reason why. There's a reason why he's scoring a bunch of goals in in Italy rather than sort of in know, La Liga, Bundesliga, or in in England. It's because it's a slower league. So, um, yeah, it's not only that. Um, so I mentioned that that's a strange move, but the other one that um, has been rumored um, this afternoon is uh, Adrian Rabio. It looks like he could be on his way from Juventus to um, to Manchester United. Which, look on on the the face of it, you look at both of those moves and you go, "Yep, Marco Anatovic, Rabio. Yep, they need a striker and they need probably sort of a six six or an eight, depending on he's sort of flexible enough to play as both Rabio." But if there's one thing that both of those players have in common, it's that they're both just diabolical for your, for your sort of squad. Um, uh, like mentality or just sort of like having a, a peaceful settled squad and if if either aren't happy it will just it will just turn to absolute custard really really quickly do you remember uh rabio's incident with the the french national team i think it was at the world cup in 20 i think it was 2018 it may have been the euros but it was either one of those two do you remember do you remember the incident that involved rabio I don't family? remember him particularly. I just remember a lot of them. There's been a lot of incidents with the French national team, so yeah, that doesn't true. surprise me. 
So the reason why I bring this up is, so Rabio was that bloke whose mum took massive issue with something that happened with Mbappe, with one of Mbappe's penalties at some point during the tournament. And to the point where, like, his mum was basically making a massive scene. And I think I think Rabiot's mum has gotten involved, like, a bunch of times and just made an absolute scene. And It's like, like under 10 football. Like, my son isn't playing enough. Yeah. Put him on the field. <laughs> or, like, oh, the, the star player, he didn't take a penalty very well. Like, and so you're just making a scene and, and just pissing everyone off. And it just seems like both of those guys, I think, talented footballers, but... There's a reason probably why um, no one at this point, none of the Chelsea's, Real Madrid's and the like or um, are looking to get either of them in and it's because they, they, they might be talented players. But I think um, Jose Mourinho said that Arnautovic was, he had the worst um, attitude of any player he'd ever come across. So that's, uh, that's saying something. Anyway, um, next up, uh, my West Ham, they hosted Manchester City. Um, last night, basically business as usual for City as Erling Ireland made his Premier League debut. He helped himself to a penalty after he was brought down by West Ham substitute keeper Ariola, um, and he got a second in the second half as City showed off a new direct approach that Haaland will surely lap up. Going from Edison to Haaland in three passes and absolutely just scything through the West Ham defence, which uh, featured 22-year-old fullback um, Ben Johnson uh, as a centre-back. Uh, with Ogbonna, Diop, and Aguered all unavailable. Of note uh, as well, uh, in terms of West Ham, Skamaka came on and looked good for the final 30 minutes, but this City side demonstrated that they're still the team to beat, and this was probably the probably the best performance of the round. I'm, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb. Um, everyone knows how good City are, but I don't think anyone expected them to be sort of quite so good just even in the first week. So, um yeah, grim times there, I think, for the rest of the league. Yeah, look, City, like you said, everyone have expected City to be really good and there's a lot of expectation on Haaland and what can he do? Can he come into the league? I think I think Wayne Rooney had a really good um, quote from an interview he did after, uh, after City's game where he said, you know, paraphrasing, he essentially said that there was a lot of detractors that – that really enjoyed seeing Haaland play poorly in the community shield. And, and I mean, in every group chat, he was one of the meme strikers of the league after, you know, he had one shot that missed from, you know, seven or eight yards, but. Norwegian Lukaku. Yeah, exactly. The Norwegian (laughs) Lukaku that was getting posted everywhere. And, but, but Rooney said that, you know, he sees that he will score a lot of goals in England. He'll prove everyone wrong. He'll be the difference in the title race. And he thinks he's capable of scoring more than a goal a game in the Premier League. I mean, that's coming from someone who would essentially say that they are a Manchester United fan. They are a Manchester United legend who is praising a Manchester City player as the difference in the league title, someone who will go on to do great things in the Premier League. So, you know, coming from Wayne Rooney, one of the greatest Premier League players of all time, that, that that's a very telling sort of, um, indicator that you know Harland is is here and he's 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 going to do big things in the Premier League and I think a lot of people after this game have been like yep I get it I get the hype he did it in Germany he's done it for he's done it for Norway but can he do it in the Prem he's played one game and he looked like he could have scored four or five let's be honest yeah the the thing is I guess about um, Harland at City is that we've seen the likes of Sterling and and Co just get tap-ins for fun because this City team is so good at just sort of creating opportunities um, with those sort of 40, 50-pass 50, um, 50 sequences. But that second goal for me, that was very different to what we've seen from City for well, the last couple it, of years. It's, Not it's, since it's sort almost, of Sane was, was at his best a couple of years ago, right? It's um, almost in a way where um, Liverpool went from this, this Klopp style of really high press, really possession-based football where they would sort of pass goals around and pass balls around and, and you know, nearly pass it in the goal and the, this time and time again. And when they actually won the league, they became a very direct side. They went straight from the centre half to forward or straight through midfield from Thiago through to, through to the front line. It almost feels that Guardiola has seen and sort of in a way been able to replicate that with the players in his own team where 
people assume City are going to try and pass the ball around you. But now they've got the option of Haaland who plays, who can play on the shoulder and get in behind anyone, any defender in the Premier League, Haaland can get behind. So they've, they've just added more strings to their bow, which is a scary proposition for, for other Premier League sides. I mean, we, we've kind of said before how the dude is just like a physical freak, right? He's like, what, 6'4", and probably runs um, like 100 metres sort of in sort of track speed, right? But I uh, never really noticed Number it. nine as well is, yeah. is very rare to come by, and it's it's almost an advantage to be a left-footed number nine to be that good. Yeah. it's I'd never really, like, I sort of, I sort of understood and, like, I, I knew the hype was there, but I was never sort of anti the hype or I'd super bought into it. But this weekend, I was just like, man, this this guy is just going to absolutely light up the league. Which and I think is a lot really of people, scary. yeah, and I think a lot of people are in exactly your sort of position there. I know this guy's been hyped, but I didn't realize that he was, you know. And people are already saying he's played one game in the league. And people are already saying I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was the next Ronaldo good. Mm-hmm. It feels like people are sort of coming to that conclusion already. A lot of people describe him as a generational talent, and that's sort of gone. Mm, yeah, maybe, but yeah, I'm, I'm sort of starting to buy into it. Starting to understand where people are coming from. Um, moving on, though, uh, Leicester they hosted Brentford on uh, last night as well in the the third match. Uh, Leicester jumped out to a two 0 lead at home, uh, but second half goals to even uh, Ivan Tony, Ivan. Uh, and Josh De Silva. Uh, highlight of the game was definitely Keenan uh, Dewsbury Hall's goal late in the in the first half. I know Jesse would have liked it. He's been screaming out for more screamers, and this was definitely a screamer. So um, if you haven't seen it yet, go hunting out for that one. I mean, this is a big come-from-behind draw from Brentford. That's all I've got to say is 2-0 down, and they get a point. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a mentality thing, and they've shown that, they're there to try and stick around. So that's a huge point. Um, a huge point, I, I think, both for Brentford, but also for Leicester too. I mean, Leicester, I don't think, I still don't think they've signed a player yet. Um, they've had their captain leave. There's still talk of Tielemans leaving, still talk of Madison leaving. I, I saw um, it was a very clickbaity sort of headline a couple of days ago about um, Leicester maybe being in sort of relegation, sort of trouble. And I thought, hmm. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But, like, the more you think about it, like, this Leicester team is just – it's really set up for an absolute shocker of a season. And it's not really until I thought about it and, and sort of watched the the highlights and stuff from this game that I thought, well, there's all the recipe – there's all the ingredients here for this to go terribly wrong for Leicester this season. And I really hope it doesn't because they they had sort of a, a couple of years, even post the the title, of, um, of just being a really fun team to watch. And, I mean – Jamie Vardy's still not the the player that he used to be, and so you just sort of wonder: is is it all? Is the house of cards going to come crashing down? Um, moving on though, Crystal Palace they hosted Arsenal in the Patrick Vieira derby. This was Premier League opening day. We're skipping back to Friday night slash Saturday morning. Um, a Martinelli header and Mark Gahey uh, own goal gave Arsenal the two 0 win. Mate, after all of the preseason heaving, uh, sorry, after all of the preseason hype, um, did this Arsenal performance live up to the fans' expectations? It's a pretty dead game, to be honest, to be the opening game of the Premier League. I felt it was it was a bit bogged down in midfield. Nothing really much happened. I don't think you got a real indicator of of either side's sort of potential this season. It was it was hard hard to judge either team on their performance from that game, in my opinion. Okay, I thought um, there was a couple of couple of things that I sort of picked out of it. And first of all, I thought Arsenal did do a really good job of sort of controlling the game, at least in the first half. Um, Palace just couldn't couldn't get out of their own half; just were struggling to to play sort of in any meaningful way against um, the the Arsenal high press. And they seemed to be doing a really good job of sort of executing Arsenal's game plan. But then in the second half, and the Tifo did a really good sort of breakdown of of how um, Crystal Palace's approach changed in the second half, just going far more direct and looking for knockdowns and bypassing the press. And uh, Crystal Palace were very effective at that. So the the takeaway for me was that um, Patrick Vieira, he can he he his tactical flexibility was yeah, he's was got a big more takeaway. strings to his bow than people thought he did. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think everyone thought, oh, like for most most ex-players who played at the highest level, you think, oh, look, I'm sure they've sort of seen a bit. But to be able to sort of make that make that change and communicate it to his players and his players actually be able to go out and execute it, that that for me boded quite well for the season coming for, for Crystal Palace. And Crystal Palace were a team where I thought, oh, yeah, I think they're going to go really well this season. And then I thought, wait. Why? Why do I think they're going to go really well? And this was sort of after the after our preseason pod last week. I was second guessing myself, but look, I'm trying to find positives after after the two 0 loss. Um, the other couple of things that stood out for me, I thought it was interesting that Odegaard has been picked as their captain um, at Arsenal. Not something that I was expecting to see. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to pick out was Odegaard's failure to shoot. It's obvious that that he's got the same genes as Mesut Ozil um, did or does. Um, and just I think he was, what, on the six-yard box, uh, one-on-one with a goalkeeper, and he tries to pass square to, I think it was Martinelli on his left, and you think, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> I just I think at that point it was still only 1-0, and I think you, you would have just been sitting there if you're an Arsenal fan or, or don't like... Um, Palace, you would have just been screaming at the TV or screaming at him if you were at the game. Um, comment from George um, in the in the chat. Um, big shout out to to Saliba. Uh, looked very good. George says he's a big unit as well. Which I mean, thanks for your input, George. But um, uh, that is a, a very good point. Uh, Saliba, I think, it was at Marseille last season. Excuse me, come in and done really well in this first game. And so uh, it'd be interesting to see if Ben White um, returns back into the middle with um, uh, Tommy Asu returning from from injury or if Saliba stays in the middle and Ben White slides back to the bench or, or maybe he'll hold his position. But still an interesting, um, interesting position for Arsenal to be in and a good problem for Arteta to have to have um, depth at the back. Um Moving on, Fulham, they hosted Liverpool in the early game on Saturday. Fulham threatened a boil over in their return to in, the, in their first game in their return to the Premier League as they took the lead twice. Um, really, really good performance from Fulham. And I don't think anyone was expecting this to play out the way that it did. Damien, are you second-guessing your first impressions of Fulham? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I think I put this down to... Uh... A very much of a home ground sort of bounce when you're being promoted. There's this big hype, right? Mitrovic feels like he's got something to prove. The the Fulham fans and players and the club itself feels like they've got a something to prove in the Premier League. And what better challenge than come up against Liverpool, who have been, you know, one of the the standard bearers of the Premier League for the the better part of the last four or five years. This is just more, you know. Fulham were just more up for the game than Liverpool. And I think you said at the top, top of the show that um, Liverpool looked particularly poor this weekend. And I think that was more it than Fulham being particularly good. Um, we, you know, we did see Mitrovic was able to physically bully um, some people and he'll probably do that all year. But I, I don't feel like that made Fulham particularly have a really good game. Um, I think they did... They did things well that kept the momentum and kept the fans believing they could win. It, you know, they went 1-0 up. There was an equaliser. They scored again quickly. The fans kept believing they could win. The ground was loud. The people were into it. I think it was more of a case of Fulham and, and the fans being up for it than, than the side actually being a really good team. And, and that'll catch up to them, like we said in the Premier League preview. You know, that catches up to promoted teams and at what point do do they get bogged down in the season and can their defense keep them from from losing games is is the question a couple of a couple of things for me um the first one was this it really reminded me a lot of uh brentford versus arsenal first game of the season last yeah, year yeah i had we that had exact a team, same vibe team that was really up for it against a team that wasn't quite at their Looks best it's underdone right yeah, and, well, not just that, but obviously Liverpool lost one of their best players and sort of a couple of new guys who are still sort of settling into the team. Um, uh, Allison missed the community shield um, and uh, Darwin's still very much sort of uh, coming into the squad as a, as a new player and um, 
Firmino just hasn't really played much for for them over the last couple of months as well. So all of the ingredients were there for for a Fulham win, but at the same time, and maybe this this speaks more to sort of the future of Fulham. Fulham didn't win this game, and this is despite them sort of having sort of one of their best performances that no one expected uh, them to them to have. They still didn't win the game, which, like I think, I say that you've got to you've got to win the games where you play well and or draw games where you don't play well, right? And it almost feels to me like it was the game where Norwich beat City a few years ago, and that was the peak of their season. Hmm. This almost and that was like two or three games into the season. This feels like Fulham's moment that that was sort of the peak of their season. Is we we got a point off Liverpool. I'm like, okay, go and win the game. Start the mm. season, you know. They, they are so proud that they got a point off Liverpool and they did this and they did that and they kept Liverpool from playing well. Doesn't have me re-evaluating, re-evaluating the team that I think they are over the long haul of a Premier League season. So, like, we, we tend to see that, like, you need about a month to really determine how a team's going to go sort of in, in the season, right? And Fulham's next couple of games, I'll just get up their, their fixtures now. Fulham have got Wolves away. Uh, then they've got Brentford at home. Um, and then the final, uh, then they've got Arsenal at Arsenal and then Brighton at home. And so they've got they've got a couple of quite winnable games there. Um You'd think that really they need to come out of the the month of August with probably at least one win, hopefully a second, if they're really going to stay up, given that they've got a pretty favourable run, though. Um, And you you sort of think for some teams like Nottingham Forest, for example, we'll get to them in a second, but they were were really poor. And you know that they're going to come out in their next match and just be absolutely up for it because they've had their reality check, right? Whereas Fulham... Fulham didn't get a reality check in their first game. They're going to be going to this next game going, oh, well, we did all right against against Liverpool. And if anything, you sort of wonder if it's going to lead to a little bit of complacency instead. So in- interesting times ahead. And I guess it's kind of good that Fulham has thrown this up at this point because it means that we're still curious as to how things are going to play out with Fulham. It was like a 5 nil loss. You would have gone, oh, geez, they're everything we said that they would be. <laughs> Um, all right, one more thing, though, before we move on. Shannon asks, uh, Torres Francois has not misplaced a single pass so far in the Premier League. Is he better than Xavi? I mean, well, you can either say he's got a pass completion rate of 100% or 0%. <laughs> um, so he's either Xavi or he's uh, Eric Jemba Jemba. Which one do you pick? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Leeds, they hosted Wolves in, um, look, we'll call it entertaining, but I didn't think this was a particularly good game because I just thought Wolves were terrible. Um, despite taking an early lead, uh, Wolves, uh, as I said, were pretty poor. Jose, excuse me, Jose Sarr almost dribbled the ball into his own goal um, and Wolves twice just seemed absolutely adamant in giving the ball away to Leeds in the lead up to, to Rodrigo's equaliser. Um, question for you, Damo. Uh, Connor Cody, he seems to be on the outer at Wolves. And as a result, uh, Wolves returned to, to four at the back for this game. Last year, Bruno Large's Wolves started with four at the back two at the beginning of the season, but reverted back to a back three after a poor start. And we may have seen the beginnings of a poor start for Wolves again here as well. So two things. Where do you see Connor Cody ending up? Either somewhere else in the Premier League or somewhere else? Um, and I guess the second part of this question does Wolves' poor performance, um, uh, what does that mean for Wolves' uh, poor performance and maybe with them returning or staying with a back four mean for you? Well, I think both of those questions are really tied into each other, right? Because if Wolves stay with a back four, Cody really probably has to leave. But if they go to a back three, well, you can't not pick him. He's he's on he's on he's he's one of those back three if if they play a back three. So, so I think the fact that he is the option that Bruno Lage has of playing a back three, that's sort of where they sit is he has options. Can we th- play three? Can we play four? 
to have those options is a good thing in the Premier League, depending on who's fit, who's not. If all your centre-backs are fit, let's do it. If one or two are injured, we play four at the back. So, I mean, in terms of where do I see Connor Cody going, he's going to stay at Wolves. I don't think I see him going anywhere, um, purely for the fact that they will be fluid in the way they play their formations this year. He won't, the manager won't stick to one thing. So he'll play a lot of games, whether it's exactly where he wants to play or not. I don't see him going anywhere at this moment. Fair enough. Uh, Tom Aldred fan page asks, and I'm going to paraphrase here, are Wolves the shortest team you've ever seen? It, it seems like they're all 1.6 metres tall. I'd love, I'd love to research this. Who is the shortest team in Premier League history? It doesn't seem like they're very short. Maybe it's those Portuguese Portuguese genes. They've really leaned into Portugal. Maybe Jesse can give us some insight into if uh, the Portuguese people are really small. <laughs> Get a sample size of the uh, the the Jesse's in laws. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, Newcastle, they hosted Nottingham Forest, um, a bit of a battering for, for the forest, uh, for the, the tricky trees, the Reds, um, at St. James's Park, um, and definitely the worst performance of the three um, newly promoted teams. Fabian Shah and Callum Wilson got the goals uh, as Forest couldn't muster a shot on target for the entire game, um, and a clinical result for Newcastle. Uh, Tottenham, they hosted Southampton. Uh, James Ward-Prowse opened the scoring there, and it looked like Southampton could be a massive speed hump for Spurs. But in the end, they just turned out to be a small speed uh, speed hump as Tottenham uh, scored two in the first half and then another two in the second half to go through the gears and, and really clinically finish off the game as well. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon and Dion Stank- uh, Stankovic, uh, Kulisevsky, both got on the score sheet and both took the limelight for a Spurs team that's been criticised in the past for being basically just the Kane and Son show. Would, the Spur- would Spurs evolving beyond be- just being Kane and Son, uh, what would that mean uh, to you for their title chances or, or in other competitions? Yeah, I mean that that's crucial to Spurs winning something this year, right? Is is not having to lean so heavily on on those two and and that partnership. I think one of the most interesting things was Spurs absolutely dominated this dominated this game pretty much from start to finish. Although Southampton went 1-0 up, it was very much against a run of play. It was it was just an incredible piece of technique from James Ward-Prowse that was able to score the goal, but Spurs never looked in doubt here. They went 1-0 down. They still just played the same way. Um, but one of the most interesting parts was all these people they bought, right? And we've talked a lot about Spurs have bought so many people. Um, finally, they've done work in the transfer market that gives them depth and gives them this advantage that they haven't had for years. Not one of them started. They had ex- they did not start one of their new signings in this first game of the season, which I think is an is an indicator from Conte that he really believes in the depth that he's got at the club, and that I don't want to show my full hand yet. And I think there's more <laughs> to come from Spurs. I honestly do. I think they're a really good team. They're, there's a, there's a great mentality in the team, um, and players like Sessegnon and Kulusevski scoring goals is is only going to be great for the team. And, and I think in, in the preseason preview, I said that a lot is going to lean on, there's, there's going to be a lot of pressure leaning on Kulusevski. Can he continue to perform the way he did at the back end of last season, which was a very short spell in terms of a Premier League season? Can he do that over the space of a whole season? Well, game one, he's already scored. So uh, signs is that, you know, and I've got a couple of friends who are Spurs fans, and one of them's already gone as far as saying he sees Kulusevski as important as Kane and Son this season. Wowee. That's massive. But, I mean, like Kulusevski really went sort of under the radar as one of the, the players of the season last year, even though he only played in the second half of the of the season. I thought he was um, that good, that influential, and that effective. So um, I, I think the we, we talked a lot about Kulusevski just now, but... How good was it seeing Ryan Sessegnon just looking looking the part um, in the Premier League after he's had a pretty tough last, uh, what, two years, three years, sort of at, both at Fulham in the Prem um, and uh, and then at Spurs where pretty much he didn't play for, for about 12 months. So 
um, that's really pleasing to see him him doing well um, after a, a rough couple of years. And because remember, he absolutely lit up the championship um, when he first sort of burst onto the scene. Everyone went, "Oh, this guy's going to kill it!" And then he just like no one saw him for two years. So, well, Conte is probably going to be the best thing that ever happened to Sessegnon because we've seen Conte's got a history of turning attacking wide players into marauding wingbacks who can do, you know, pretty much everything in a wide position. And Sessegnon was that, right? He, he he broke onto the scene in that Fulham side in the championship as a left winger. Mm. He went to he went to Spurs and he played on the right side, on, sorry, on the left side of a back four, and that really wasn't anything he had ever done in his career. Um, and now Conte's come in and we've seen that transition many, many, many times before, obviously, the famous one, um, Victor Moses at Chelsea, and he's done it with Perisic at Inter, who he's now brought to Spurs as well. So um, Perisic, I said in in my um, season preview, was going to be a huge part of the way Spurs operate this season. And uh, it's, it's clear that Sessegnon's going to play a role too in in a very similar sort of position, understanding of that, of that role. And that's going to be a great sort of like-for-like replacement whenever they need to rest. The late kick on Saturday saw Chelsea take a 1-0 win over uh, over Everton at Goodison. Uh, Jorginho was the one who converted from the spot. Maybe sad to see Jorginho ditch the hobby boy pen. Yeah, I I miss the jumpy boy. I'm really – that was the biggest biggest headline from the game was that Jorginho didn't do a jumpy boy penalty. And that's saying something because, to be fair, it was a pretty boring game, let's be honest. But both – I think uh, Frank Lampard said he was really happy with the performance and was basically just sort of disappointed that they didn't get anything from the game. How can you be happy with the performance where you lose at home? I don't (laughs) understand Frank Lampard's mentality with the media. He he just doesn't understand how to talk to the media about his team's performance. And we've spoken about this before, Tommy. He, He doesn't know what to say. And when he does say something, it feels like he says the completely wrong thing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Glenn Glenn Hoddle uh, spoke about um, his post-match comments, uh, Frank Lampard's post-match comments, and I actually thought he was bang on. He said that Frank Lampard in that point was he's starting his team talk for, for the next week. It was, guys, we did really well and kind of trying to build them up for, for the next game, which, which is kind of true because I don't think the, the atmosphere in that squad would be particularly good still. Um, they've, they've still got a bunch of players that really haven't performed very well over the last two years. They only just avoided relegation in what, like the second last round of, of last season. So this is still a team where he's really got to build them up. And I think he, look, I think he, it was ridiculous kind of what he was saying objectively, but I still think in terms of sort of communicating with his team indirectly, I thought it, it was probably the right way to go. And it was kind of, um, I actually quite like Glenn Hoddle as a, as a pundit. He, he seems to be, he seems to have some good insights and um, not always the most obvious thing to say either. And I thought, yeah, okay, that's, that's good. I like that. And you'll like that from a pundit because I mean, we watch a lot of football and there's a lot of the times we, we listen to a pundit and go, what the hell are you talking about? That's bullshit, right? So um, that's goodness. But um, all right, let's keep moving though. Uh, the final match that we're going to cover is Bournemouth versus Aston Villa. Bournemouth obviously just come up from the championship um, after a year out of the Prem um, and they offered one of the biggest surprises of the first match day um, with a 2-0 win over Aston Villa. Jefferson Lerma got on the score sheet instead of getting a yellow card uh, before 29-year-old, I was going to say 99-year-old, 29-year-old Kiefer Moore opened his account on his Premier League debut. So great result for Bournemouth and uh, would be pretty disappointing for Aston Villa. Um, Got anything to talk about this game, mate? Yeah, just the one thing I've got to add is my bold claim in our preseason predictions was that Bournemouth would make it to... The, the start of the World Cup without a point. So um, Kazonis, I think, asked on Twitter this afternoon if there was a transfer window for our Premier League predictions, how would you change it? I'd probably say Bournemouth wouldn't be as bad as I thought, but I still have them getting relegated. Oh, yeah. And like what we were saying before about Fulham, right? Like Bournemouth now are going to be going into the next round going, oh, yeah, like we won our first game. We're like hot shit. At least Bournemouth won the Premier League though. again. True, true. That's a good point. 
Although they were playing Aston Villa, who finished, what, like 13th last yeah, year? Yeah, but a lot of people to... have been predicting Aston Villa to finish, you know, in the top 10, even some as high as finishing in European spots. And I've got I've got the receipts in my in my <laughs> full Premier League table predictions that I'm keeping tabs on. Oh, Lordy. Um, all right, fair enough. One thing before we wrap up, and so I want to talk a little bit of more than a game FPL. Um, so last year... Please, we had... please talk last... about it. <laughs> we'll get to that. Calm your farm, mate. Um, last year, we had 58 people that uh, paid up their subs and, and were playing in the comp. This year, due to a, a big effort from yours truly on the final day, drumming up a lot of interest and, and, and hustling hard, um, we got 65 people, so a couple more than last year, which is great uh, great for everyone to be involved. Um, so 68, uh, sorry, 65 people have paid up, um, and there's still a few more who have promised me that they've sent some money. So we <laughs> couldn't even crack 70 at this point um, in the next couple of days. Obviously, with the season already started, um, it's getting pretty close to basically where we start, uh, where we draw the line in the sand for the competition, though. So, um, I think we'll go pretty close to having 70 people uh, signed up this year, this time around, which is which is great um, because obviously more people that are playing, um, the bigger the prize pool. So good stuff. Yeah, there. Huge effort, huge effort from yourself, Tommy, on the, the pretty <laughs> much the last 24 hours before the league started. I've no idea how you got any work done that day, uh, but credit to you. <laughs> well, mate, to be perfectly honest, I didn't get any work done on on Friday last week. <laughs> So uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty grim old day, uh, professionally speaking. But uh, yeah, look, just just giving it all for more than a game. Um, whilst we're on the topic of of uh, more than a game, MTAG FPL, um, it'd be remiss of me to not say who's leading after the first game week, and that, of course that's our own Damo as well. He he came away with the the highest score after the first week. So well look, done. I mate. think I'm I think I'm going to retire from FPL. This is. Um, <laughs> I want, to th- I want to thank my family. I want to thank my coaches. I want to thank TikTok for giving me some good advice. Um, yeah, this, this, is probably my, this is probably the pinnacle of my FPL career, and I, it'll never get higher than this. So uh, thank you, and uh, thanks for the memories. <laughs> <laughs> well said, mate. Um, all right, that pretty much wraps up the show for this week. But look, do unfortunately probably have some bad news for, for everyone. Um, this season where, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit in, in our um, preview pod, saying that we're, we're unlikely to be doing as many pods this season as maybe we would like uh, or as what we have previously done. Um, a couple of the the panellists on the pod, they've got some big stuff coming up in their life. And um, unfortunately, as, as much as I can... I can uh, sacrifice my work day on a Friday to more than a game. Um, there are some things that still are bigger than more than a game. So um, we're looking at probably doing um, at least one pod per month. Um, we're looking at doing, obviously, an A-League preview pod. We're looking at doing a World Cup preview pod and a World Cup uh, a post-World Cup pod as well. Um, but unfortunately, it is meaning that we're, we're unlikely to be doing a, a weekly pod every week for 50-odd weeks Um over the next couple of months. So um, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, unfortunately sometimes bigger things than football call. But look, uh, still going to be uh, have plenty of a pre- uh, plenty presence uh, on social media and the like over the next couple of months. Um, and of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you know you can always email us or, or get in touch through through the socials as well. Um, but until I would say next week, but until next time, uh, enjoy the football. Let's go. Oh.